Ms. Shauna Nyquist. Thank you. Um, uh, thank you very much. It's totally my honor and my privilege to be here. Um, and I will tell you, I will just start by being very honest about two things. The first is that I that I love Nashville. There's one thing that I don't like, and it um, I'll just tell you right now, and then we will get it off the table. Um, I'm from Michigan, and before that, I'm from Chicago. Um, and that means I have the most grating, terrible, nasal Midwest accent. And it is never more obvious than when I'm among, like, gracious southern ladies who can make anything sound wonderful. And so I'm, uh, and, and when I, I don't notice it when I'm at home, but then when I come to a place like Nashville, everything I say is like, hi, oh my gosh, I'm so glad to be here. Um, so I'm going to tone it down as much as I can. But if you hear it every once in a while, I hear it too, and I'm sorry. And there's nothing that can be done at this point, save like a, a move to Nashville and like a tutorial or something, but... I worked, I was, I rode over here with Deborah this morning and I worked at a Canicut camp for a long time and it's in Branson, Missouri and most of the people there are from like Texas and Arkansas and Mississippi. It's a wonderful place but um, one of my jobs was to like, you know, get the kids to, to do stuff, you know, get in line and stuff and I'd always say, hey, hey, hey everybody and then one girl would say, hey y'all and it's like they would just hear it and like, ooh, what she said, you know. <laughs> They, it's like they couldn't hear me talking. It was like Charlie Brown's teacher, like, that lady? I don't know. So that was my one thing. Um, the second thing is that's um, to tell you is um, I have been traveling since Tuesday, and um, my dad is in one place right now. My mom's in another. My husband's in another. My baby is with my mom. And I woke up really lonely this morning for my church and my family and things that felt familiar, particularly my baby. So if you see me staring at your two-year-old, it's because I have one and I miss him. Um, So I woke up lonely for my church and for my family and um, was reminded, sitting here with you, worshiping, praying, that um, one of the truly best things about being a Christian person, about being a person of faith, is that your family is wherever the, gather, the, the, the gathering of the body is happening. And so um, I'm really thankful today that I'm not sitting in my hotel room watching CNN and that I actually got to be a part of a family experience today. On a very deep level, this is uh, more a gift to me than it is to you to be here, um, uh, to, to remember that family is wherever the, the, the body is gathering. I'm really thankful for that today. So I, um, a little bit about myself, I live in Grand Rapids now, but I grew up in Chicago, um, which I don't want to say it's a better place than Grand Rapids, but it's a better place. <laughs> I don't know really another way to say that. but um, And I am married to a man named Aaron, so um, women who marry Aaron's, solid choice. Um, he is a pianist and a worship leader. Um, and then we have a son named Henry, and um, I guarantee whatever he's doing right now, he is wearing a Superman shirt and a cape and a plastic cup on his hand for his fake hook, because he likes uh, Captain Hook. Um, he's also wearing galoshes and possibly a Shrek helmet. Um, and he's all, he just does it all the time, constantly. And it, at this point, it's so hard to get him to take those things off that it's just totally not worth it. So I completely took him to the grocery store in the, other, the other day in a Spider-Man shirt with a Batman cape with camo print pajama bottoms with his galoshes. 
with a sock on one hand and a turkey baster in the other. I don't even know. I don't know what the sock means. I don't. I have no idea what the turkey baster means. But it was just too hard to to get them out of his hands, and so I was like, well, "Fine, we're just going in like that." But so that's what's life like. What life is like for me with a two-year-old. Um, I do believe I. Um, one of the great parts about my job and my life right now is that I get to visit a lot of church communities, and I'm developing some theories about. Uh, Churches, and one of my theories is that you can tell almost everything you need to know about a church by the pastor's wife. And I will tell you that you all are a part of a great church. Um, and I knew that before I even came because Beth and I have been emailing a little bit. And um, you can tell a lot about a woman, obviously, by the company she keeps. And so I met a whole bunch of the women from your community last night. Um, Beth has clearly surrounded herself with wonderful women. Uh, who walk together and laugh together and spend time together. And I think you all re- are really blessed uh, to be led by by Aaron and Beth. And um, I really, I, my dad's a pastor, and so I know I know what it's like to be a pastor. And I've watched my mom be a pastor's wife and lived in a pastor's home. And when you have um, a pastor's wife who lives with such relational warmth and intention and spirit, um, you all are really blessed. So I'd love to open us in prayer and then um, talk with you about a couple things. God, thank you for the deep gift that it is to gather here today. Thank you for the the sense of family that we feel when we gather together as a body, whether or not we are family, whether or not our relationships are long. Thank you for the things that we hold in common, deep love for you and love for your body, deep belief that the world can change through individuals like us, unprepared as we may feel. God, I pray specifically for the time we're going to spend together um, with our families in the next uh, month or six weeks, for the time that we're going to spend with family and friends gathering around some of the important milestones in our calendar year. Pray that you would guide us, that you would be very present with us, that you would walk with us closely through those seasons, and that we would be your hands and feet in a needy world. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, <clears throat> uh, as much as I grew up in a pastor's house, I am not a pastor or a preacher. I'm a storyteller and a writer, and so I'm going to read for you a little bit today. I told you that I have a two-year-old, and so um, I spend a lot of time reading. I'm I'm not going to pretend he listens. He runs around the coffee table while I read, but I feel like developmentally at some point it will be important that I did this, so just keep reading and keep reading. So today is going to be a little bit like story time, so you can kind of get comfy and you don't have to take notes or anything. Um, And what I want to talk about is um, I have this terrible habit – well, and it starts, I'll tell you when it starts. It starts in the spring, getting ready for the summer. I get busy in the spring. It's like the end of the year. Everything's happening. Everybody's getting married. Everybody's graduating from something. It's so busy. And all I want is the summer to start because the summer is going to be like long, lazy days with everything in slow motion. And, it's, you know, it's light for so long. And it's just going to be like, you know, one big kind of lovey, sunshiny little nap, you know, very relaxing. And then I remember that I have a two-year-old. And so summer for me is like we go to the beach. Everyone around me has like stacks of magazines, and they're just laying there baking in the sun. And I've got like sunblock in one hand and a swimmy diaper in the other hand. And we go from like in the water, out of the water, in the water, out of the water, up the stairs, down the stairs, new swimmy diaper, more sunblock. And then we throw a toy that goes really far out. And then and I end up getting home from the beach like, 
that was so relaxing. I love going to the beach. Um, and I, and that's kind of how summer works. There's not, you know, I think it's going to be really relaxing and then it isn't. And then I tell myself, okay, but when summer ends, fall is coming and fall is going to be so like, snuggly and lots of fireplaces and it smells like cider and we're just going to stay home all the time and bake things with pumpkin in them and and I can't bake at all so that's just totally a lie that I make up about myself that I'm going to bake things with pumpkin Um, and then inevitably everyone I know decides to get pregnant and everybody has a baby shower and then all these things happen and then and I end up kind of caught in the blur of life but then I tell myself but the holidays are coming. And for the first time ever, I am going to be totally present to the magic of the holiday season. And I am not going to go crazy and buy presents for everybody I ever knew, but instead I'm going to write really meaningful letters about how much I love them and what I wish for their new year and the things I'm praying for for them. And then I wake up and it's January, and I have no money at all, and I'm exhausted, and I've gained 15 pounds just eating Christmas cookies, and I tell myself, we have got to figure out a new way to do this. And so um, today is um, just right before that season, and I think you and I together, I want to give us a moment to think about and pray about and spend some time being still thinking about what this season could be in our lives and what choices we could make right now to bring about this season the way we want to live it, the way we believe is the best possible way to live it. I always decide to do this on, like, December 23rd. Essentially, your choices have been made at that point. But right now, we have the opportunity to think about Christmas in a new way this year, to think about the people that we love, to think about the, the way we choose to spend our money, the way we choose to spend our time, the way we choose to engage in the things that really matter, the things that we're willing to take off of our list, um, a woman who I believe is just very wise said to me, um, she has four kids, she's a writer, she's a speaker, and she said, it's not hard to decide what you want your life to be about. The real challenge is deciding what you're willing to not do in order to bring about that life. And so I want you to think for a moment with me about this holiday season and some of the things you're willing to not do in order to bring about the kind of season that you want it to be. And I'm going to start with reading you... Um, a little section of a chapter called The Red Tree. Um, I know that you all, it's, it's warmer here, but you do still have a little bit of the change of seasons. In Grand Rapids, it's totally, completely extraordinary, um, which is one of the great things about Grand Rapids. There's not only bad things. There are a couple bad things. but um, So this is about a season in my life um, where that forced me to think about the things that I do and the way I spend my time. I think it has particular significance for the way we spend our time in the holidays. So I want you to just think about your life, your commitments, your calendar. Um, we'll read and then um, go on from there. A few months ago, in the golden crackle of fall, I woke up early on a Friday morning. I was getting a cold. That month, we hosted a baby shower, a wedding shower, and a rehearsal dinner at our house. I made a job transition at the church which we all know means you work two entire jobs for a while and call it a transition. A good friend got married, another celebrated her 30th birthday, another found out she's pregnant, and another adopted a newborn. My husband had his wisdom teeth removed because we had so much extra time that month for elective surgery. Just for the record, because he's not here, I would rather take care of 15 newborns than my husband when he has his wisdom teeth out. He is, and he is a wonderful person, and it stands. I would 15 newborns would be easier. 
So my husband had his wisdom teeth out because we had so much extra time. And on that particular Friday morning, I was two weeks from teaching at an event. I had no idea what I was going to say or what I was going to wear. And both of those were causing me just a teeny bit of stress. My husband told me that he needed more gauze for his teeth and more ice cream and more soup. And while I was going, more strawberries. I threw a coat over my pajamas, flew out the door, raced through the store, throwing things in the cart. On the way home, I had a phone conversation that totally stressed me out about one of the upcoming events. It was with my mother-in-law, and I can say that because she's not here either. My husband, uh, when I got home, my husband told me that I bought the wrong gauze. You would think I could get the right gauze because I already, already bought it seven times that week, but it was indeed the wrong gauze. I didn't even let him finish what he was saying. I stomped out the door, back into the car, still in my pajamas, and as I opened the garage door again, I stopped in my tracks. In the park across the street, one of the tallest trees, twice as high as a two-story house, was the brightest, most insane, lit-from-within red I have ever seen. And it took my breath away for two reasons. First, because it was so beyond beautiful. And second, because I hadn't noticed one step of its turning. I'd been in and out of my driveway a zillion times in the last two weeks and could not have even told you if the tree was still standing. As I stood there in the driveway, I realized that I had stopped seeing the most important things to see. I saw the to-do list, the accumulation of things in the house that would have to be shoved in closets for the parties. I saw the stack of half-finished ramblings and post-its all over my desk that were not turning themselves into a brilliant talk the way I hoped they would. I saw the pile of things to go to the dry cleaner and the pile of work to be done and the pile of promises I had made that couldn't possibly keep. We were hosting a baby shower, and I saw the shopping list and the favor ideas and the bookcases to be dusted. But underneath all those things, waiting for me like the red tree, was the real sight to behold. Waiting under, the red th- waiting under the things to do was a story to be told. For almost three years, Nate and Melissa have been wanting to have a child and have pursued all different roads from medical procedures to international adoption. There have been many points on the journey that seem like the end because of paperwork or money or red tape. And then with just a few weeks' notice, Melissa was in the delivery room acting as a birth coach for the woman who chose them as adoptive parents for her baby girl, Sayla Grace. That's what the shower was about. Not the favors or the food or the things to be put away, but the story of life and family and hope that it represented. Hidden under the to-do list for the rehearsal dinner at our house is the story of my sister-in-law, Amy, whose wedding we were celebrating the next day. That night, over chicken korma and tandoori, two families told stories and laughed and prayed together, anticipating the next day's ceremony, anticipating the moment when two families would become one. After a decade of broken, painful relationships and the scars and heartbreak that go with them, Amy stood looking out over the city, surrounded by both families, as she married Austin, a man who was all of the things that she hoped for and all of the things that those men never were. Amy was a glowing bride, flushed with beauty and even more so with love. They say that some women acquire a new sense of beauty, that their lives take on a new bloom when they're deeply loved. And when I see Amy now, I know that it's true. The day of her marriage to Austin began a new thing in her, a beautiful, lively, hopeful, generous way of living, a woman in full bloom. It looks like a full calendar, a whirl of events and to-do lists and grocery lists, but underneath it all, the month was a greatest hits album, a collection of stories, one after another of the rich and gorgeous ways that God tells his stories through our lives. What looked like a shower or a dinner or one more night to clean up after was actually one of God's best gifts worth celebrating, worth seeing. 
What looks like just a plain old city street is just that until you lift up your eyes and see the red tree. And then you realize that this is no plain city street. This is a masterpiece, just here for the week. Our very own wonder of the world, and I almost missed it. I bet if you think about your holiday season, it seems busy. It seems like there are things to do. There are the same old things to make and things to buy and places to be and things to prepare for. But I think if you look one layer underneath that, you'll realize that something very sacred is happening. When families come together, it's sacred. When new lives are celebrated, it's sacred. When people who've been gone from us for a long time gather around our table for the first time in months or maybe even years, it's sacred. And so I would love for you to think today about the things you can do now to make sure that when those moments come, you see them as the encounters of of God's grace that they really are as opposed to the timing of getting everything in the oven or the timing of getting the house clean right or all the gifts you have to get and the strategy for getting through them all on time. I know that's a part of the holidays, but I think underneath all of those things are encounters with God's goodness, with his fingerprints, with his redemption, the people that we love gathering together. Um, Some of my dear friends are getting married just after New Year's. And I'm really working hard right now to not let that moment get lost in the shuffle of a million other things this season, but to celebrate with them the new family that's being created. So um, I would love for you, um, maybe today sometime, to have a conversation with your family. What are the things that really matter this season? What are the things that we're willing to let not matter? Uh, My husband, I was telling him, okay, so uh, um, one thing I didn't tell you is we're moving to Chicago, which is awesome. Um, So we're moving back to Chicago in January, and I was trying to swing a way to do Christmas cards. So it's like a little cute picture of us and Henry, probably wearing a plastic cup on his hand. Um, Cute picture of us, little Christmas message, maybe our new address. Send him out to say 200 people. It's not a problem. We'll take the picture this week. If I order the envelopes early, I can address them on the plane. So I'm telling Aaron all this stuff, and he was like, I'm sorry, no Christmas cards this year. And I was like, what? He was like, you're a crazy person. You're traveling all the time. You're moving houses. You have a two-year-old. Send them an email later. Tell them you love them in a text message. You are nuts. And it was so helpful for me. I just crossed that off my list like, ooh, that feels good. And now I'm like totally on a roll. Like, what else can I not do? Hmm. But I think it's a really important thing to think about. What are the things you're willing to not do in order to be really totally present with the things that really matter to you this season? Um, And now I want to talk just for a moment about Thanksgiving, specifically because it's right around the corner. Um, It seems to me, up until maybe three years ago, Thanksgiving was an easy holiday because it's easy to be thankful and there's great food and you're with your family and it's not that big a deal. And then um, three years ago, I... um, left a job that I really, really loved. I left in a way that was really hurtful uh, and surprising and embarrassing. Uh, it broke a lot of relationships. It, 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 uh, it was scary financially. It made me wonder about my long-term career. It made me feel out of place in my town and at my church. And it, essentially, if there's anything in your life that feels stable, this just knocked my legs right out from under me. And then as I approached Thanksgiving that year, I went, wait a minute, this is a totally different thing. When it's been a great year, Thanksgiving is one thing. But when you've lost something important to you at Thanksgiving, uh, during the course of that year, when Thanksgiving comes, it's a really different thing. And so I'm imagining, uh, with as many people are in this room right now, 
For many of you, you're walking into a Thanksgiving not like any others. Maybe you lost somebody close to you. Maybe something devastating happened in your life. Maybe you lost your job like I did. Um, maybe there's a broken relationship that you can't fix in time for Thursday. Um, maybe the financial pressure of your life is mounting in a way it hasn't up until this point. I don't know what it is for you, but what I had to do was all of a sudden face the challenge of Thanksgiving with a broken heart. And um, so I'm going to read this for you um, about my Thanksgiving uh, that first year after uh, this really hard season in my life. Uh, so this is called Happy Thanksgiving. One snowy night, halfway through December, we hosted house church at our house. And in a fit of dementia and good intentions, I decided to cook a Thanksgiving dinner. Yes, with a turkey. Yes, even though I barely know how to cook boneless, skinless chicken breasts. Yes, even though I have a newborn. Yes, several weeks after the actual holiday. But it had been ages since we'd hosted house church, since before Henry was born, and I missed it. I missed the cooking and the table setting and the sounds of their voices in our home. And I wanted it to be special, to feel like a party or a holiday. And I realized as well that I wanted to celebrate the holiday with them. We talk about being one another's family. And it's become so true that when a family time comes, like a holiday, it doesn't feel right to spend it without them. I had two Thanksgiving already, already this year, one with my parents and Aaron and Henry, and then one with my in-laws. My, in-laws was, my mother-in-law was planning on cooking, but her back went out. So one of her friends, a caterer, cooked double and brought over his amazing fancy Thanksgiving food. Diane's a great cook, but we were all a little thankful for her bad back when we tasted the sausage and mushroom stuffing. All that to say, she loves that part, by the way. She's like, (laughs) All that to say, even though I did the meal part of Thanksgiving twice, I never really did the thanks part, the part where you stop and think about the year and think about what you're thankful for or what you've been given or the gratitude that you feel toward the people you love and to God for his good gifts. And so Thanksgiving at our house in December. And December in Grand Rapids, as Annette puts it, is like living in a snow globe. There are months and months in the spring of that ugly, dirty snow that dogs have peed in and boots have mashed down. Sorry. (laughs) But in December, it's that magical movie snow with huge swirling flakes and thick blankets of snow on the rooftops and yellow street lamp-like making things look dreamy and like everything is as it should be. I set the table all fancy with silver chargers and balloon wine glasses and silver candlesticks with long red tapers. We listened to Sufjan John Stevens' new Christmas album, which is beautiful and strange. And of course, the turkey, turkey took like nine hours longer than the recipe said it would, so we had lots of time to catch up and cuddle with Henry and Spence before their bedtimes. When the turkey finally decided to be done after a zillion years, We sat in the twinkly candlelit dining room and ate stuffings and smashed potatoes and old-school green bean casserole with the crunchy onions on top. And while we ate, we talked about the time we'd spent with our families over the holiday, about the things that change and the things that never do. Joe, who is an expert at not talking about things he doesn't want to talk about, invited us directly and honestly into some of the decisions he's making this year. We stayed at the table an extra long time, having seconds and listening. We talked about gratitude, about how there are things that are easy to be thankful for. Henry, for example, is an uncomplicated happiness, as is my marriage and my family and the house church. What I found this year, though, is a different kind of gratitude. When I left my job in the swirling pain and confusion of that season, a few people told me that at some point I would be happy for this, thankful even. That didn't sit well with me. It felt even worse than the cliches about closing doors and opening windows. It felt cruel. 
Not only was I supposed to not be sad, I was supposed to be thankful. It felt inauthentic and creepy. And I swore to myself that even if I healed someday, even if the pain abated, even if I was happy again, I would never, ever be thankful for this. And then the week of Thanksgiving, I went with my family to the house of some wonderful, generous family friends. The last time I had been there was the day after I left my job. I keep using the phrase left my job because I got fired. That's why I left my job. And being there again, it makes it sound like maybe I just decided to move on. That's not true. Um, Being there again brought me right back to that place. And it showed me, to my great surprise, the distance that I had traveled in the intervening months. I looked back through my journal, and I stood in the places I remembered standing on that first trip, and and I looked out at the ocean at the same times of day to see the same colors on the same sky, and I realized that I'm different. Not only different, but better. And not only better, but thankful. I'm thankful, I realized in those moments. Thankful for the breaking of things that needed to be broken that couldn't have been broken any other way. Thankful for the severing that allowed me to fall all the way down to the center of my fear and look it in the face. Thankful for being set free from something I didn't even know I was enslaved to. I'm I'm all the cliches that made me so mad several months ago. I believe in the gift of pain. I believe that loss deepens us. I believe all those things that made me throw a Larry Crabb book against the wall eight months ago. No offense, certainly, to Larry Crabb, who's a wise person. But I was nowhere near ready for his words at the time. I'm grateful for God's graciousness that he would teach me these things. And I could gag at that sentence for how Pollyanna it sounds. As much as I hate it, hate to admit it, I've found a new gratitude. And it's gratitude for the way God has redeemed darkness and pain, for the way he brings something beautiful out of something horrible. That's the kind of gratitude we talked about on our snowy Thanksgiving night. We talked about the way that God's hand has reached through the, through the darkness in each of our lives. And in those moments, we became more than the sum of our parts and more than we had been previously as a community. While our babies slept upstairs and the leftovers and turkey bones littered the table, we told the stories that no one tells, the stories of the darkest places, the most painful moments, the way that God has held those moments up and turned them from ash to luminous things, treasures, shards of hope. When we stood in a circle to pray and close our night together, we held hands and thanked God for the darkness, for the way the darkness had become light. And in that moment, we practiced thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for the uncomplicated happiness of babies and friendship and food, and for the very complicated joys that come from loss, from failure, from loneliness, from reaching the bottom and pushing back up to the light. That's a happy Thanksgiving. So Beth is going to come up in a moment, um, and come on up. Um, But before um, she does that, I want to... Close us in prayer, and before I do that, I just want you to think for a moment about what you're facing this Thanksgiving. Think also for a moment about what the people who are around your table are going to be facing, and what it would look like for you to stand with them and work hard to find a way to be thankful. I know that sometimes the things are too fresh, and that it, it, um, it's too soon uh, to really be thankful, but what would it be like if you cracked the door to the possibility of gratitude? What if you opened one tiny little inch of your heart to just see if God could bring light from darkness even now, even in this? Um, I didn't believe it was possible for me, and I know now that it is.
And I believe now, based on that experience, for the rest of my life, I will always be a person who believes that God can bring light into darkness no matter what. That he can give us reasons to celebrate even in the middle of the despair and the blackness no matter what. And so whatever has broken in your life or your heart leading you into this Thanksgiving holiday, what would it be like if you opened the door to gratitude, even in some tiny, small way, and if you're walking closely with someone for whom their life has fallen apart in some significant way this year, what would it be like if you loved them so with so much warmth and with such a deep sense of God's presence that you invited them into a new way of gratitude with you? Let's pray together. God, we love you. We believe that you made us on purpose for a purpose. We believe that you guide our lives, that you are powerful over all things, and that sometimes the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of our very own lives grieves you when you look and see it. We know that you mourn with us, that you carry our pain with us, and that you celebrate our joys with us. And God, I pray for each person here, if there's anything that is broken in their lives, that you would begin even now today to knit them back together, that you would give them glimpses this holiday season of what it would look like to be healed, to be returned into the light, to be brought, knit back together through the graciousness of who you are. So we thank you for the whole of our lives, for the easy parts and the hard parts, the beautiful parts and the broken parts. We stand before you people of gratitude for what you do in the tiny corners of our lives. We're thankful for the gift that it is to be your children, that we don't walk alone on this earth. Thank you for the people that walk with us, that'll sit around tables with us, that'll celebrate both the complicated and the uncomplicated happiness of Thanksgiving. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.